0: Welcome! You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. I'm joined by Yves Ingler, the author of The Black Book of, of Canadian Foreign Policy, Thank you so much for joining us, Eve Singler. Thanks for having me. Now, when I look at your book, you know, the first title, it's, well, Canada is a peacemaker. You know, Canada is known as the peacemaker in the world f- for close to 60 years. Now we think of Canada as the one who uh, brokers peace in places of conflict. How does your uh, study of our history um, reflect this and where are the discrepancies?
1: Well, it's uh, it's mythology. It's a mythology that's uh, designed to lull the Canadian population into trusting uh, the politicians on foreign policy questions. It's uh, it's not based in in uh, in, a, in substance analysis, as we um, you know, see today with the Trudeau government continuing uh, policies of pro uh, pro U.S. Uh, pro corporate uh, foreign policy, and that if you look back. Uh, a century pre pre the the sort of uh, Lester Pearson's peacekeeping times um, that has been overwhelmingly what has driven Canadian foreign policy, which is a mix of supporting empire, historically British, uh, today American, and supporting Canadian corporate uh, interests abroad. Look at uh, you know almost all regions of the world, and you'll find uh, the general pattern uh, uh, holds up.
0: In many ways. Um we are we are living in a, in a world where we're mired with crisis. We're told we have an economic crisis, an economic collapse, and many places of the world are being felt at different levels. Neoliberalism has become um, the water we swim in. We no longer question the fact that unions are being made to disappear, that unionizing is in some places made illegal. So how do we... Uh, reconcile our view of government and our responsibility to co-create the conditions that lead to having governments that reflect our, I I guess, our desire, our commitment to peaceful uh, coexistence with other places in the world?
1: Well, I mean, I think that's a, it's a, it's a responsibility of, uh, of everyone uh, who is, uh, who's Know, living in a place, or has some uh, ability to uh, uh, impact the policies of a place. Uh, so, in case of uh, people living in Canada, the Canadian government primarily um, to to you know say yes or no. Do we support this policy? Do we oppose this policy? Okay. Canada, with while there's you know major inequalities, while there's um, uh, lots of uh, ways in which uh, power structures deter dissent and and and, uh, and uh, make life difficult for those who uh, who challenge uh, the policies that are being pro- proposed by elite sectors um, it is still a, a relatively <clears throat> free free society and there's a fair bit of co- people have a fair bit of capacity to express their dissent yes though there's different ways which get you get marginalized but for the most part um, people are, are generally not killed people are generally not uh, you know, thrown in jail or, or other you know, horrific things done to them. Um, so that, that leads, makes it so we have a quite a bit of, um, I think, responsibility to, uh, to say no, not in our name. No, we don't want our government to be trying to uh, destabilize and overthrow our elected government in Venezuela. No, we don't want our government to be uh, doing everything it can to back K mining companies that are abusing uh, indigenous communities in many parts of the world. No, we don't want our government to be selling uh uh billions of dollars in weapons to a uh, uh, reactionary uh, monarchy in Saudi Arabia. No, we don't want our government to be uh uh seeking to undermine uh democratic movement in, in Honduras, uh et cetera, et cetera. And so I think that there's um, lots of room for for the population to uh, express itself and and but it gets down to really the question of work and just people coming together Figuring out democratic spaces uh, where people are free to express their opinions about political affairs, uh, and, and of course things like unions and, and student uh, student unions, labor unions, student unions, uh, uh, you know, social movements uh, uh, need to be built and, and rebuilt. Um, it's to a large extent a question of uh, the work and effort to, uh, to to do so.
0: What has been the role of the Canadian government? Um in the Trump administration, with regards to um, Venezuela, because for many Latin Americans, Venezuela has been this beacon of possibilities. You know, we've seen significant changes in the population, in their health, in the, you know, uh, lifting of a great number of people from. Uh, extreme poverty. So for Latin Americans, um, the example of Venezuela has been of a democratic uh, process that has created what we call a beautiful revolution, a revolution that did not take having you know half of the population dying to create change. And the government that came in place under Hugo Chavez was a government that was very responsive to the needs of Venezuelans, uh, nationalizing some of the resources, making uh, uh, programs that help the poor, that you know, increase housing, increase health. Um, so clearly, this was a very welcoming change for Latin Americans. However, it's not so well received by countries like the U.S., where they felt their monopolies were being threatened as Venezuela went to nationalize the resources. Can we talk a little bit about um, this? relationship um, that, you know, in some ways, I guess, power means right, and so those with um, military power, economic power, sometimes feel they have the right to um, declare how other countries, you know, should govern and operate their their affairs.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the Harper government uh, was... Very hostile to the Venezuelan government. Uh, during the Harper government, uh, the Venezuelan government was was stronger. Things were going well. Price of oil was high. Uh, Chavez uh, obviously was still alive for the most part. Most of that time, the Harper government um, and uh, and so the Harper government was rhetorically hostile to uh, Venezuela's government. Um, you know, pursued some policies in terms of supporting opposition groups. Um, but, but uh, since the last uh, couple years, uh, actually, and Trudeau, and the, the, the fact that the, uh, the, uh, the Americans and the Venezuelan elite have very much seen an opportunity, they've seen a, a weakness in the government's economic uh, downturn, and they've really you know, pushed, pushed, their, uh, pushed their advantage, um, the Trudeau government has really jumped on that process and has, has uh, brought in sanctions against Two different rounds of sanctions against Venezuelan officials. Um, uh, Christian Freeland, the Canada's foreign minister, has repeatedly uh, attacked uh, Venezuelan uh, government for you know alleged human rights violations, uh, um, for for uh, purported lack of democracy. Um, they've obviously done this at the same time when they're you know supportive of uh, uh, the government in, in, in Brazil. The Temer government in Brazil that wasn't even elected uh, and they've also you know done as well they rather well, supportive of, of the uh, the uh, uh, Juan Orlando Hernandez government in, in Honduras won a very uh, uh, dubious election so their their policy has been to try to isolate to weaken the Venezuelan government um, you know while Donald Trump is talking about invading Venezuela while former now former Secretary of State uh, Rex Tillerson was, you know, openly calling for the military to overthrow uh, the elected Maduro government. Um, so Trudeau has really um, has, has continued this anti-Venezuelan uh, policy and actually ramped it up with some very concrete measures in terms of bringing in sanctions. And of course, people need to remember that sanctions contra- contravene international unilateral sanctions contravene international law. Um, uh, they've pursued policies against Venezuela at the Organization of American States. The former Canadian ambassador in, in Caracas, when he uh, uh, left in the in the uh, in the summer, he did an interview with the Ottawa Citizen, which I've quoted in a few articles, where he he just said openly that basically that the Canadian government was backing the opposition and providing uh, media platforms for the opposition, providing internet platforms for the opposition, uh, and they, you know they couch it all, of course, in, in human rights language and, and democracy language, but in practice, what they're doing is supporting a very uh, reactionary elitist opposition that would like to see Venezuela return to the old times when, when they ran things. I would say Venezuela is a, quite a clear example of Ottawa aligning with uh, the you know, hard right American imperialism and with the Canadian corporate interests and just many examples of Canadian corporate interests uh, over the years that have been uh, uh, hostile to, the, uh, to the, uh, the transformation process taking place in Venezuela.
0: Today, um, we also see the continuous call for uh, increased um, intervention uh, by the opposition. Now, those of us who lived in Latin America have experienced firsthand what... um, you know, dictatorships of the past have meant for us, in terms of the bloodshed, in in terms of the dirty wars of the '80s that we experienced, and as you rightly point out, as in the case of Honduras, the military coup that this, you know, that basically took out Manuel Zelaya and put on this coup government that has now been, um, you know, uh, that that was only acknowledged by the U.S. And um, the rest of Latin America had denounced the inclusion of this government. Now, in contrast, right? We have a democratically elected government in Venezuela, where the population, the vast majority of the population, still supported. I mean, not in every country. Um, not everybody agrees. In Canada, there are special interests that uh, would prefer to have. Um, you know, a conservative government. And there are other areas of the population that would prefer to have a more socialist or democratic government that cares about sustaining health care, free education, uh, increased wages, you know, those kinds of things that are um, signals of how well a society um, it's doing in terms of equality, in terms of access, in terms of creating uh, a... A path for um, the growth of all this population, not just its business sector of, of it or its economic engines, so can we talk a little bit about how does this um, awareness take form in terms of the kinds of actions that um, you're inviting the population to take in defense of our you know, our values of democratic rule of, of you know, egalitarian um, principles, right, of peace and justice.
1: Well, I mean, I, I my personal uh, political viewpoint is that we live in a society that's way too unequal, a world that's way too unequal, that the small few have uh, owned way too much and have too, way too much political power, and, or, or too much economic power and political power, that the governments resort to violence way too quickly there's way too much resources devoted to mi- militarism um, and uh, and that collectively the world the world's population overwhelming majority of the world's population would do better by um, uh... pursuing policies that that uh... overcome the imbalances of, of political and economic power in the world that that devote less resources to to war and 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 uh... And militarism that devote more resources to uh, to uh, uh, education, to health sector, that uh, devote less resources to uh, extractivism, uh, to uh, fossil fuels, uh, to ecologically damaging uh, endeavors that we, uh, uh, our governments, our economic system pursues, uh, and that that devotes more uh, time and energy to to people. Um, Finding themselves through through art, through education, through uh, uh, friendships, family, and uh, you know, so people work less, consume less, but work less, right? So have more time to to uh, to explore uh, different different things. These kind of uh, transformations, um, you know, there's differences of opinion. There's differences of opinion within Canadian society. Differences of opinion within society. Differences of opinion within every society about how much. Uh, attention and resources and priorities should be given to you know, one sector of political or economic life or another sector of political or economic life, um, I think that we're, we're widely uh, out, out of balance uh, in our society and in much of the world. And, and the reason we're widely out of balance from what, what the core human interests are is because, to a large extent, the corporate structure, uh, capitalism, uh, prioritizes a certain type of of uh, development, if you want to call it that, of um, of you know resource extraction, of consumption, of of uh, alienation in terms of people you know doing jobs that they they, they feel totally alienated by. They're often uh, not very socially useful work, uh, and and do, doing it under under very oppressive uh, uh, conditions. To me, there's um, there's a need to to push forward on more uh, Humanistic, uh, socialistic uh, uh, fronts, and uh, and that will be better for for, for, for everyone uh, uh, collectively. Obviously, it's not. These are these are tough struggles, and they're, they're they are struggles. But people need to remember that victories. You know, the, the pe- women's right to vote in Canada didn't just fall from the sky. It came because there was struggle, people fighting for it. Uh, Improvements in indigenous rights didn't just you know fall from the sky. Um, in fact, there, you know, the policy has been has been genocidal, has been to, to you know to wipe out. And to the extent that that uh, that policy has not been uh, successful, it's because of uh, indigenous resistance, uh, workers' rights. You know, the fact that we do have uh, you know weekends that's because labor unions uh, for decades, individuals uh, and, and came together for decades collectively to, to you know fight for those rights. So I think that. Um, you know, the, the process also of the social change, people finding themselves in, in struggling for social change is an important component. I think people enjoy being part of something bigger than themselves and, and, and being part of a process of, of, of seeing themselves as part of a collective, of seeing themselves as part of a world, of, you know, of a collective humanity, even globally speaking, um, and, that, and that, yes, these are struggles, and the term struggle is there for a good reason because... Because they, they are difficult, they are there are battles, but but there but there is also a a, um, a sort of realization that people find in that process on a, on a, on a strictly personal level of of being um, being part of something that's that's right, that's just, and that's bigger than themselves, and that's something that they you know like they it's, it's good for their families, good for their children, good for their grandparents, et
0: cetera, et cetera. I love that you point out that you know. Th- a lot of the policies that we see put in place um, like this idea that free trade is something that's free from harm um, as we I, I, you know in Canada we are so focused on what Venezuela is doing and we know very little of what our government is proposing in terms of this free trade negotiations with the. US. Um, we are very aware of the battles between provinces. You know, Alberta trying to force British Columbia to take an increased um, amount of um, bitter uh, of uh, tar sands oil, which is very uh, dangerous for the coast in terms of the the way that they want to um, increase the number of pipelines, which are in the past have been known to have multiple spills, not just. You know, in case it happens, it's always when. And uh, the areas that these pipelines are going to travel are very precarious for um, British Columbia. And yet, you know, we're so focused on what Venezuela is doing. Um, What should we uh, be asking about, you know, what our government is doing in our name in in this uh, trade agreements negotiations? What are we exposed to uh, that will threaten not, not only our ability to govern our own resources, to take care of our own ecosystems and, you know, and wildlife, our oceans, our water. What are some of the concerns that we need to be taking care of at home?
1: Well, I mean, as you pointed out, there's there's many different concerns, and obviously in BC right now, you know, fighting against Kinder Morgan pipeline and uh, and the fact that you know, the bitumen has to stay in the ground, uh, that that has to be for, that has to be front and center of, of these discussions. That the climate emergency, climate disturbances, uh, mean we have to we have to uh, move off of uh, fossil fuels, and the bitumen in in Alberta is some of the dirtiest oil there is in the world and and building pipelines is about locking in a process of of expanding, not reducing, we need to be reducing, expanding consumption of of fossil fuels and particularly um, uh, one of the dirtiest uh, forms. Um, In terms of, you know, NAFTA and what's in NAFTA, I mean, the whole process of of signing so-called free trade agreements has been a process of making uh, life easier for uh, foreign investors, for multinational corporations, empowering multinational corporations um, um, so that they can move factories to places where they can pay people less, and so they can threaten unions that that don't uh, uh, succumb to their demands um, and threaten them to move shop. Uh, it's also about you know if you get into the particulars of agreements, there's there's these. these this, the side components or the the the, the chapters that that um, that give special rights to uh, foreign investors to sue. Um, that's something the Canadian government, not just in NAFTA, but has been pursuing in all these so-called foreign investment promotion protection agreements um, and free trade agreements Canada signed with countries throughout Latin America, Colombia, Peru. Um, they ha- they all have these uh, so-called Chapter 11, which is in NAFTA, that which allows. Uh, foreign companies to sue governments if they're unhappy, if they feel like they've they've been mistreated and lost profits, they've been able to sue in these these uh, international tribunals that are that are um, sort of secretive and they give just basically empower multinational corporations. Um, so that that's part of what's going on with the NASA negotiations with uh, with Trump. I mean, I'm, you know, there's so much there's so much to. To be uh, uh, hostile and critical of Donald Trump on the one area where I think there's uh, maybe some positive is his hostility towards towards NAFTA and 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 I think it would be a good thing if NAFTA was simply uh, was ripped up. I, I don't think that uh, you know there would be certain economic sectors in Canada that in the short medium term might have some difficulties, but in the in the medium longer term from the from the perspective of most Canadians from the perspective of of uh, of lessening the dominance of of corporate power in our lives, uh getting rid of NAFTA would be a would be a good thing and so and we shouldn't i don 't think that the uh, you know progressive forces should should be just because Donald Trump is against something, therefore we 're for it um, uh, and I think that that you know goes long long standing progressive policy in this country has been to be proposed to free so called free trade agreements because they because what they do at the, at their core they're about empowering corporations mm-hmm. um and so, and they, and, they, and, they, and about weakening democracy right weakening you know when when a when a community opposes a uh, fracking in its in its uh, in its in, a, in its community and then they, they get sued um by uh by a multinational corporation because they're not allowing that company to uh you know extract uh, uh natural gases in one one instance in one uh, uh lawsuit under is taking place against Can against uh Canada. Um, so so um I think that uh you know the the free trade negotiations um and it also Canada is involved in free trade negotiations with with Mercosur, um the, the, the South American bloc right now. Um, uh and those are those are questions that that haven't gotten much attention. Mercosur's uh, the right wing governments Mercosur have kicked out uh, the Venezuelan government, uh, which, which was previously part of the agreement, and now uh, Canada is involved in in uh, in, si- in, in negotiating potentially signing, uh, joining Mercosur with with the uh, the right wing uh, some right wing South American governments. So uh, those are policies that again they generally they're being driven by uh, by corporate interests. And uh, and as you point out, the the the, the, uh, the importance to the population is not really being properly uh, properly discussed.
0: You know, in Latin America, most of uh, Canadian agreements have involved increase in mining, increase in the deterioration of water resources for the populations, uh, increase in monoculture, and this also means more hunger for the populations of countries like El Salvador, uh, Honduras, you know, in, in many ways, um, returning to our own basic needs of protecting the soil that we grow our food from, the water that we drink, the air that we breathe. Um, I I feel that's really where our efforts need to be invested. And like you said, a lot of these free trade agreements are just about increasing the profits or corporations and international movement of money. We, we call it neoliberalism, but really has been a liberalization of, The financial sector, liberalization of laws in favor of terrible injustice against the workers. Uh, But it has not liberated us because people are working more and we see fewer jobs as a result of all this globalization. We see more poverty and we're seeing a lot more people being displaced, you know, displaced by ecological disasters. Um, What inspires you that we can't? Move our society to, uh, you know, towards ideals of more um, recognition of one another. Recognizing that if we want clean water and fresh water in Canada to drink and safe food to eat, that you know we ought to want that for other parts of the world, for people in other places. Yeah, I mean, I think I
1: think what what it, what it inspires me into is is. Seeing people uh, struggle in much much more difficult conditions than uh, than 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 people have for the most part in Canada. I mean, if you take a look at history and, and what's you know moved uh, the world out out of slavery, for instance, um, was in, to a large extent or an important part of that was the the Haitian Revolution, where people um, were living in conditions that are you know so. Uh, so much more oppressive and their their diff- their ability the, the difficulty, difficultness of of overcoming those conditions is so much greater than anything in the vicinity of of uh what most people in canada live in um and uh so so you know people fighting for advancement i'm of the opinion that um on a per- very personal level of of my paying attention to international affairs and my uh you know looking at canada's role in the world from a from an internationalist uh, uh, perspective, is a, a result of decades of struggle by people before me that, 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 that have opened progressive opinion within Canada to more internationalist perspective. If you go back and you look at, as, as bad as many things are today with Canadian foreign policy, um, what Canada did in Korea in the early 1950s was much worse, and there was very little dissent and what what's happened over the past 50 years and it's not a it's not a uh completely uh the trajectory's not completely uh positive but the broad uh, trajectory is uh improvement where people have become more internationalist less racist and that's because of struggles like uh you know the anti nuclear weapons struggles of going back to the after World War 2 to The uh, fight against the war in Vietnam, to Central America solidarity struggles in the, in the 70s and 80s, to you know, opposition to coup in Chile, to Haiti, Haiti solidarity. That's where I where I became politicized. As Haiti soli- or in terms of Canadian foreign policy, is the Haiti solidarity struggle after the 2004 coup in Haiti, and uh, and our and our you know, building this Pan Canadian uh, Canada Canada Haiti action network to challenge that. So, so to me, I, I, I find inspiration. Uh, from those struggles, and and from you know a reading of history that that shows that that so many of the things that we just take for granted today, uh, those are basically because just sort of you know common people came together with a bit of spare time uh, and with you know very little personal benefit to be had, fought for those struggles because they believed it because they thought that it was just right for uh, you know for women to be able to vote. A look at history suggests not not that it was going to be easy to to get towards a you know a, a, a real internationalism and a, a, an equal world. It's not going to be easy, of course, but that it's possible for sure.
0: Mm. Thank you so much for being with us today. How can people access your book?
1: Well, you know, online uh, you can go to evingler uh, y v e s e n g l e r dot com for uh, most of my articles and stuff about my books and. Uh,
0: and uh, whatnot. Thank you again for being with us. Thanks for
1: having me. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com. Visit Latin Waves Media to hear previous shows to access resources or support our efforts towards social change via community project engagement. Thank you and bye for now.